Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much. And Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of me undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 10, The Marauder's Map. Madame Pomfrey insisted on keeping Harry in the hospital wing for the rest of the weekend. He didn't argue or complain, but he wouldn't let her throw away the shattered remnants of his Nimbus 2000. I'm Matt Potts. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Matt, for today's Every Flavored Bean Conversation, we are going to talk about the Marauder's Map and how it is that Fred and George figured out exactly to say, I solemnly swear I'm up to no good. I can't wait to talk about the Marauder's Map because the Marauder's Map is both a gift and a mystery, like all good things. (laughs) (laughs) And we are going to plumb the depths of its mystery and celebrate its goodness. So if you want to hear that conversation and other amazing conversations and no doubt tons of great bloopers, you can join us at patreon.com slash Harry Potter Sacred Text. And if you don't join us on Patreon, we are so glad that you're here. And we hope that AJ leaves in some funny things so you're not left out. Vanessa, this week you're telling us a story about confusion. So throughout my mid to late 20s, I was obsessed obsessed with getting a dog. So much so that I would fall asleep with the Pet Finder app open in my hand every night. And Bob, my partner at the time, would like come in. He he came to bed much later than I did. And he would take the phone out of my hand and be like, oh, this is so pathetic because we live in New York City in a small apartment and we're not allowed a dog. Poor Vanessa. And then I moved up to Cambridge and we decided to get me a dog. Dreams do come true. And so we did a lot of research and we found this puppy. And needless to say, Matt, I was very excited about this puppy. I read all the books in preparation for her. I like lifted all the cords to set her up for success. I bought all of the things, you know, 
I was so ready to be just like an all-star dog mom. And then this five-pound demon arrived. In typical demonic fashion, it was so cute. You know how <laughs> demons will do that? Yeah, they're tricksters. They're tricksters. She was, she was so devious. She was like, I'm the cutest when I sleep. I just have this little belly. And then also, she only wanted to chew on me and eat me. And I would take her outside and give her an opportunity to pee for like an hour. And then I'd bring her upstairs because she clearly didn't have to pee on my fourth floor walk up. And she would pee as soon as we crossed the threshold into my apartment. She'd be like, oh, now I got to pee. And the thing that was so difficult about it for me was that I found it confusing because we would make progress for like three or four days. And then it felt like we would just regress entirely. And that process, the fact that I couldn't find a pattern was, I think for me, what was the most frustrating because I couldn't come up with like a thesis of what sets her up for success. And so what I started doing was I kept a journal right by the front door and I wrote down every time she peed successfully outside and every time she had an accident. And what I was trying to do, right, was make sense of something that absolutely didn't make sense, right? Like in six months, progress was going to be made, but it was not going to be seen as far as data collection on a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> and I, I, looking back, can't tell if the writing everything down helped me or not. But I do know that what was the hardest for me was that I was confused, was that I couldn't figure out how to pull us out of this demonic spiral into despair. Vanessa, that's a really interesting story. I think really useful when we think about confusion because confusion's so unsettling, right? I think we see that in this chapter. Harry, at times in this chapter, is hurt and upset, but it's almost because he doesn't have understanding. He doesn't know why the Dementors affect him more than others. And that fact, almost as much, maybe even more than the fact that they affect him, is what affects right. him, right? And I think your story really points to that. I think another thing your story points to is, you know, you, you talk about how introducing Rory into your life really unsettled and confused you, right? Etymologically speaking, the word confusion comes from the Latin confundere, which means to like pour together. It's like from mixology or like potion making. <laughs> oh, when you yeah. pour two liquids together, they get mixed up, right? So much so that they can't be separated, right? Uh, you can't keep the thing separate. And like there's something about like introducing this life into your life. Where like mm -hmm. a life that made sense, that had discrete boundaries around where responsibilities were or whatever, gets this other ingredient thrown into it, and then nothing makes sense anymore. We don't know how they relate to each other. We don't know where one thing ends and the other begins. It's interesting, too, uh, just to think about this particular example of confusion from your life when we think about the etymology of the word. Yes, because now she and I are inextricable. The other thing is, right, like at various points, Bob was like, was this a bad idea? We can find another family for her, right? Yeah. And that was never an option. <laughs> I was right. like, no, she's my demon. Yeah. This is the thing about yeah. confusion is like there's once confused, there's almost like an inseparability. Another thing that your story speaks of is that like it, it's not really a possibility. The same way when you mix two liquids together, you no real possibility of pulling them apart. Right. You just have to yeah. work with what you got. And sorting through confusion doesn't mean separating the two things. It means as you were doing and took some time for you to do, it means trying to make sense of what the new whole is, what the new mix is. Matt, are you confused as to what happens in the chapter? Yeah, I'm confused as to why I do not get less anxious about 30 second recaps. But guess what, Vanessa? What? I'm ready today. Today I'm ready. Well, Matt, I'm so glad you're ready. On your mark. Get set, go. So Harry's still in the hospital wing and he's cradling the shards of his his uh, broom. And then he gets out and then Lupin has him in class. And Lupin says, hang back here, Harry. Let's talk. And they talk about the mentors. And he says, you have more, you've seen more awful things. That's why they had this effect. And uh, and then uh, he meets Fred and George. And Fred and George are like, here's this map. And it can get you to Hogsmeade. And he says, okay, I'll go to Hogsmeade. And he goes to Hogsmeade. And he goes to Honeydukes. And he meets Rod and Hermione. And then they go to the three broomsticks. And at the three broomsticks, they find out that Sirius Black betrayed his parents and caused to die. That was incredible. What? Really? Maybe it's because yes. I felt ready today. 
Well, I can't wait to hear how we work together as a team. I'm on it. To fully inform our listeners about the happenings and what have you from chapter 10 of book three. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Three, two, one, go. So Harry uh, is in the hospital wing and Hermione and Ron don't leave his side and it's very sweet and everyone is going to stay for Christmas because Ron can't stand Percy and Hermione needs the library, which is not true. And then um, they have this conversation with, uh, Harry has a conversation with Lupin. Great. He gets the Marauder's Map. He goes, he goes to Honeydukes. He's like, no, I don't want cockroaches. And then at the Three Broomsticks, it turns out that Peter Pettigrew died and sacrificed himself confronting Sirius Black and Sirius Black uh, betrayed Harry's parents. My arms did a lot of the work in that 30-second recap. You did. I, I think great. that our listeners are not going to know how hard your arm worked to make that 30-second recap <laughs> work. I think you've got a lot of great detail that's important. Thanks. The Peter Pettigrew stuff was crucial. Let's talk about confusion in this chapter, Vanessa. Where do you see confusion? Let's start at the beginning of the chapter, right? Okay. Because Harry is talking to Hermione and Ron. He's in the hospital wing. He's healing from this big fall. Madame Pomfrey is like, you're going to stay here over the weekend. And he's like, that's fine. I don't even care. As you said so beautifully in your 30-second recap, he's cradling the remnants of his destroyed broom. And it says that he doesn't tell Ron and Hermione what happened, that he saw the Grimm. And it gives reasons, right, that Ron would get really worried and Hermione would dismiss it. Hmm. But I also think it's because he doesn't know how he feels about it. And I think that sometimes we go into conversations specifically because we don't know how we feel about things and we want other people to help us figure it out and sort of unconfuse, right? Like our feelings and parse them out. And other times we're like, I'm not ready for other people's opinions about this, so I'm going to hold it tight. I'm too confused. I don't want your feelings. I think that that's something that we all deal with of I'm not ready to talk about this or please help me figure this out. Yeah. And it's just interesting the things that Harry chooses to share with Ron and Hermione and the things that he doesn't. Yeah. I mean, this is a subtly distinguished, this excellent point you just made, but not just like sometimes we're not ready to talk about how we feel about things, but also we don't know why we feel the things we do, right? So at the beginning of the chapter, the narration in the text says, Harry knew that it was kind of ridiculous to treat the shards of his broom as a best friend. Nonetheless, it felt like he'd lost a best friend, right? And in one sense, you know, given this etymological definition, you could say that's confusion, or you could say that, like, Harry feels this. He knows he feels it. He doesn't know why he feels it. He doesn't really want to talk about why he feels it, (laughs) right? He just knows it's true and just kind of needs to be there and doesn't want somebody else to tell him to unconfuse those emotions. That's just where the emotions are. And I think you're right. I think it's true with the Grimm and with the Dementors as well, that he doesn't know why he feels how he does about the Dementors. He doesn't know why they affect him as much. And there's something about sharing it with Ron and Hermione will not answer the question he actually has, which is the why, right? They know how he feels about the Dementors. They've seen him. They've seen him be affected in this way. But it's the lack of understanding that is the problem. And he doesn't believe they have an answer to that or that the answers Mm -hmm. that they will give will not answer it, which is why only a few pages later, he is willing to have the conversation with Lupin. Although I think Lupin introduces it and Lupin's a teacher, so maybe it's not quite as willing. But I think you're right about this. Well, Lupin introduces a different version of the question, right? Harry introduces the Dementors. Yeah. Lupin is like, I'm right. so sorry about your broom. That's right. right. And You're he right. doesn't ask yep. any questions. I think that lately a frustration that I have is that we all feel as though there are right things to say. I know we've always felt that way, but to some extent I do think social media has made us feel as though everything we say has the potential of being held up for public scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes it kind of takes a village (laughs) and it's okay that Ron and Hermione won't know the right thing to say about the Grimm and the Dementors. They're there keeping him company and probably bringing him food. And it matters what it is that they do and what Harry needs is a teacher to step in also. And so I think that one of the things that this chapter illuminates to me is that It's okay that we don't tell everyone everything, and it's okay that we don't always have the answers for friends, other than maybe you should talk to someone else who knows more. 
And that in order to truly not be confused in your own life, I mean, like you need a village, you need Ron and Hermione, but you also need Lupin. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, it's been, as we record, it's been a few weeks since Russia invaded the Ukraine. And I was talking to one of my friends who leads one of the institutions here at Harvard. And this person was saying, you know, it took them, I think, three days to get a statement out about the invasion. And this person said, you know, some students were like, well, boy, it took you three days. And she said, well, you know, on day one, we were figuring out which students were impacted directly. Who who are our Ukrainian students? How do we take care of them? I mean, it was not like they were sitting around for three days. It was right. right. And just the fact that statements, the thing you speak, you know, what you say, and when you decide to speak, usually it's an expression of, oh, I have some clarity. Here's what I want to say about it. Right. It takes time to get that clarity when something confusing has happened. And the immediate response to something confusing is maybe not like a clear statement. It's rather a gesture of care, a gesture of concern, which is what this colleague of mine was doing. And also, I think what Lupin is doing in this scene, right? Like he's not, he starts out saying, understanding that Harry must be emotionally impacted by whatever happened, up to and including the loss of his broom, right? He doesn't say, boy, that Dementors must have been terrifying. He says, I'm sorry your broom was destroyed, because he knows what this means to Harry. And he allows it to have the confusing sort of mix of emotions that it has for him. And it's not like making a public clear statement. It's just saying, oh, you're hurting. I'm sorry. Which is a nice first step in confusing times, right? Just let's take care of each other first as we figure out what our hurt means and how to address it. I mean, Lupin being so wonderful really speaks to me of, again, a failure (laughs) at Hogwarts. Like, we don't get a sense that McGonagall stopped by. We don't get a sense that Dumbledore stopped by. Everybody's talking about how pissed Dumbledore was. Why wasn't Dumbledore doing what this colleague of yours was doing, which is like, first and foremost, let me check on the kid who was impacted by this. We see that happen on a student level. Oliver Wood, like, isn't ready to go on Friday. But by Sunday, he's like, well, you know, I'm not even mad at you, Harry. But like, why don't we see school leadership there? Uh, this is a real question for me. I'm confused. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Sometimes I'm curious about the degree to which the representation of teaching staff in the Harry Potter series is sort of a caricature of a certain kind of English boarding or public school culture where a particular kind of deference is paid to teachers, right? Or there's a particular distance between teaching staff and students, which is, I'm not even sure that was ever true in British private schooling, maybe, or if it's true now or was true in the 90s. It is not the way teachers interact with kids in the United States today in most schools. And so it looks incredibly distant and incredibly like formal and standoffish, right? So I'm one question I have is just sort of the degree to which this is playing into a trope or accurately representing the way school culture was in the 90s in Britain, or we're meant to read it as like, oh boy, this is shocking how callous these teachers sometimes are. To students, and this is folded in with Snape's behavior in the last chapter towards the dark arts class, right? I don't know. I like, I don't give rolling credit for being in control of the narrative. And so part of me wants to be like, this is just lazy writing and a misrepresentation of what it's like to be in a school. But we do know that these failures happen. When I was a, a proctor living in the dorms, I would be forced to visit certain students in the hospital because I was on call. But when my students were in trouble who I had relationships with, I was often discouraged from going because it would have been a HIPAA violation, according to the school, even though the student texted me, right? And so there were times in which I felt as though my hands were tied. And again, I don't think that the school had evil reasons for these rules, right? I think holding up HIPAA is really important. But often it was confusing to me on like an interpersonal level why I had to represent myself in a way that felt really inauthentic. Yeah. Yeah. And there was one time in particular where I intentionally broke a rule. And it was interesting how much trouble I got into. Yeah. I knew exactly what I was doing and I'd been there for years and I felt as though my boss should have sort of trusted my judgment at that point. And yet all these levers got pulled. Yeah. And I think that's really telling with respect to this chapter, right, Vanessa? Because 
one of the things that your example from your own kind of professional life highlights is how what was confused there, what was mixed together, if to use this etymological definition of confusion, were these multiple roles or these multiple obligations that tended in your life not to fold on top of each other, but in these particular instances did land on top of each other. And then you had to figure out, okay, where are my obligations? Where are my interests? How these two worlds have collided or these two roles have collided. And so how do I live into them appropriately? And you can see that's what's going on at Hogwarts. Everybody in the wizarding world knows that Hogwarts is a place where we teach young witches and wizards to become professional witches and wizards. But we also know that it is the target of this person they believe is this murderer who has come to hunt Harry. They know that there's a risk in Hogsmeade and at the school. And so worlds are colliding. The Dementors show up. Magical law enforcement is not usually at the doorstep of Hogwarts, but it is right now. And the teachers of Hogwarts don't usually need to worry about a murderer coming into the school and attacking one or more of their students, but they do now. And Cornelius Fudge doesn't usually need to worry about Hogwarts, but he does now. And so this mixing, this mixing of these different obligations and interests is happening right on the grounds. In fact, on the Quidditch pitch underneath Harry while he's flying through the sky, And everyone's confused because they don't know what to do. Like, these are things that don't usually go together. And so now they don't know how to act, who to call, how to react to these different situations. And so, yeah, I mean, in a way that I hadn't really anticipated, even when I read through the chapter with confusion in mind, what your example kind of brings out is like how profoundly confused everybody is (laughs) about how to address this situation, how to respond to this threat. And I can imagine Dumbledore, like your administrator friend, is like, look, I hired Madame Pomfrey, right? And like, she's excellent at her job. And I've checked in with Madame Pomfrey and people are constantly visiting Harry. And so it would just be this like political performative thing. I'm not actually going to make Harry feel better. But the thing that I can do is talk to the Minister of Magic. And Madame Pomfrey can't do that. And the thing that I can do, right? And so there's an argument that he's actually making the correct power decisions, but yeah, I, I do think that some sort of leadership should be visiting this kid and be saying to him that yeah. never should have happened. And at the end of the day, that's on us. Right. And I think that this is one of the things about confusion. When new roles are collapsing or conflicting roles are impressed upon a person, like sometimes you have to fulfill multiple roles, right? It may be that Dumbledore right now, the most important thing he thinks he can do since Madame Pomfrey is taking care of Harry is to go chastise Dementors and make sure they never come back, right? Right. But he probably also has time to stop by the hospital wing and <laughs> and offer a word of comfort or two to Harry, right? And and a lemon drop. Yeah, and a lemon drop. That's this is the confusion. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimold Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, 
you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. I mean, another moment that I think confusion is only one of the things that's going on is in this amazing sort of meaning-making, processing conversation at the three broomsticks at the end of the chapter. Yeah. So... The structure of the writing is that everyone is explaining to Madame Rosmerda what's happening. But you hear a lot of sort of out loud processing for these teachers. First of all, it's clear that this has triggered everyone. And, you know, this was like a deep trauma from the last war and losing these two beloved students and really to some extent losing four beloved students, right? Losing Lily, James, Peter, who you know, in their minds has died, and Sirius, who was never the person who they thought he was, right? And so they're processing that. And what's interesting is they keep coming up against, like, I can't believe it. And and these feelings of shame, right? Hagrid is like, I almost gave Harry to him. Like, if it hadn't been for my direct order, I would have. So these teachers are clearly trying to process information that doesn't seem to fit. Yeah. And so I feel like what they're feeling is the frustration of confusion, but it's not two things mixing together, right? It's that they've been deceived. And that feels different from confusion. But is it, right? It's experienced maybe is the same. Well, I think what you're saying and what you're suggesting is that misinformation is really good at causing confusion. Right. right. <laughs> because the teachers in this scene all had what they felt was a really sound sense of who Sirius Black was and where his loyalties lay. Right. And then they get information which mixes that all up. Like they have to introduce new facts into this mix, which none of this makes sense. And you can hear in their speech how they still don't quite believe it. Right. How could this be? We were so convicted. We were so convinced of who he was. How could I have almost given Harry away? How did he fool us? And I think the confusion there is because the misinformation has introduced this uncertainty. So what made sense before, what fit into a container, what was clear has become unclear. So confusion, like really importantly, isn't about the relative truth or falsity of a situation. It's just our relationship to the information, whether or not it's true or false, right? And I think what's really interesting both in this text And also, you know, regrettably in the world around us is how useful falsity can be in creating confusion and how useful confusion can be in fomenting chaos, right? Mm -hmm. When with what you want is chaos, then falsity is a great way to get there because it will introduce confusion and that will get you to chaos. And that's what's happening at the school, right? Like dementors are crowding onto the pitch because they're hungry for souls. This is what Lupin tells us in this chapter. And that has been allowed to happen because of a lie that was told 12 years ago. Yeah. And I think that we actually see a great moment of leadership in Dumbledore. I mean, 12 years ago (laughs) through this sort of talked about flashback of Hagrid saying in the midst of chaos and confusion, Hagrid had a direct order. Yep. And so he wasn't confused as to what he was supposed to do in that moment. He was confused about why Sirius was there, why he was giving him his bike, what, you know, but his purpose was very clear. Yeah. It also makes me wonder, you know, I think this example you gave that you helped us think about, about how misinformation or falsity can foment confusion or lead to confusion. It also makes me reflect upon what we learn about Sirius Black at Azkaban at the end of the chapter, 
that when Mm -hmm. the last time Fudge visited him, he was very lucid. He was not in the kind of crumpled heap of despair that every other prisoner at Azkaban is in. And it just makes me wonder if we have the the opposite on display in the example of Sirius, where the truth is actually really clarifying, right? I mean, we know because we've read this book before that Sirius knows the truth about Pettigrew, about himself. And and he also has the gift of of being an animagus, which we know helps him in, in Azkaban. But you get the sense that there's something about that clarity. Yeah. About being unconfused about what happened to him and what happened to his friends and who betrayed whom that allows him to not descend into the kind of chaotic space that Azkaban is designed to be for these prisoners. And how that lack of confusion actually gets him even less confused, offers more clarity, right? He asks for the crossword, and that's how he sees the picture of scabbers, right? Yeah, right, right. And so it's like confusion creates more confusion and clarity creates more clarity. Yeah. That's right. But it's like, I just tell you one thing I love about this chapter, which just filled my heart with a little bit of joy, which Mm -hmm. was Ron and Hermione's decision to stay at Hogwarts for Christmas, which obviously must break their parents' hearts and their family's hearts. (laughs) And I mean, Harry believes that they're lying about their reasons, and I think they probably are, but they're there for Harry, right? they, They want to be there for Harry. And I just think it's so, it's just really touching. And I, I think it's touching that they want to do that. I think it's touching that their families, like, allow them to do that. How did you feel about this, Vanessa? (laughs) (laughs) I hate this. I hate this. (laughs) Obviously, it's so beautiful of Hermione and Ron. I do not hate Hermione and Ron. I hate that this falls onto children. Again, there needs to be some adult intervention here. McGonagall, Dumbledore, someone needs to notice that this child would be essentially alone at Christmas. And I there might be safety reasons as to why he isn't allowed to go to the borough. And like yeah. they're worried that they can't protect him. But like something else needs to happen than Ron and Hermione not seeing their parents for a full nine months to take care of a fellow 13-year-old. Like this should just not be laid at the feet of 13-year-olds. Yeah, I grant that. I think the backstory I was assuming is that everyone has agreed including Hermione's parents and Ron's parents, who have come to have some affection for Harry, that Harry is only safe at Hogwarts. And that, to me, it seems like there is this, whether or not that's true, they think this is true. And and to me, it's like there's this almost like sacrificial, self-sacrificial thing that that Hermione's parents are doing was saying, like, Harry can't be alone at Hogwarts for Christmas. And so we are willing to allow Hermione to be there because Harry's at risk and Harry's only safe there. And he deserves that. This 13 year old deserves to have some company over Christmas. So to me, it seemed like a family, a family decision is in addition to a child decision. That's the way I was reading it. But yeah. Okay. I love that. I mean, I just kind of feel like I have a 12 year old. She's not 13 yet. But I kind of feel like if my 12 year old was like, I want to spend Christmas this place and I didn't agree. She's coming to me. right? She's doing what I want, <laughs> not what she wants. So I'm guessing there's some family buy-in with this plan. For our sacred reading practice this week, we are continuing to do Lectio Divina. And so I'm going to invite you to Select a line at random from this chapter. Okay, Matt, I found a sentence for us. Great. They have been growing restless for some time, furious at his refusal to let them inside the grounds. What a spooky and creepy line. I love it. Let's go. So step one, Vanessa, is let's talk about, maybe you can help us describe what literally is going on in the chapter at the moment this line appears in the text. So Lupin and Harry are having this conversation. Harry is like, did you hear about the Tementors at the Quidditch match? And he was like, yeah, boy, was Dumbledore pissed. And then Lupin gives us this like inside information about the Dementors that the Dementors have been frustrated for a while and are pissed at Dumbledore that there's this thing that we didn't know about, that the (laughs) Dementors have feelings too, and that there's been this tension and they're especially hungry for souls, right? Doesn't Lupin say that they're hungry? Like it's yeah, we find that out a little later. But absolutely, I and this question of their hunger I, is really interesting to me. 
And does one soul feed all of them, right? Like, uh, like all the Dementors are out there, each hoping that they will be the one that gets to eat? That seems, they need a better plan. <laughs> In many ways. Yeah. Okay, step two, Vanessa, is what other stories or what other texts or what other kind of cultural artifacts this line reminds us of. So would you read the line again? Yeah. They have been growing restless for some time, furious at his refusal to let them inside the grounds. I just finished reading the Lord of the Rings trilogy with Sam, which... Cute. Was it cute? <laughs> there are, in the text of the Lord it. of the Rings, there are long discourses by elfin kings about the history of Middle-earth, which Sam, to his credit, was there for. He was like, this is super boring, but we have gone this far. We are finishing the series. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and, so, and so we did. In response, I decided to watch the films, which I had not seen before. Uh -huh. And there are lots of orcs and evil creatures that gather around the gates of places waiting to get in. And so the Dementors gathering around the gates of Hogwarts and desperate to get in. That I mean, the image that comes up to mind is just these images over and over of demonic-looking creatures trying to make their way into through the gates of various cities and thresholds. What story does it remind you of, Vanessa? It reminds me of the story of the Trojan horse. Ooh. You know, you're outside the gates and you sneak your way in. And I feel like building that horse, right, like took a lot of time and patience and standing outside and they came in and yeah. attacked. So that's what it reminds me of. It's interesting, right? We both picked stories where someone is on the outside and there's this violent desire to get in. Yeah. So there's like a real sense of violence, I think, that we both are culling from this. Yeah. There's something about, I think one thing that distinguishes the example from the text, from the ones we gave, and maybe just are giving them highlights it, which is why it's interesting, is the, the violence in the case of the Lord of the Rings and the Trojan Horse. It's very specific and directed, like the enemy is the one inside the gates. Right. The Dementors are, this, are these dangerous creatures because they don't care who they're terrorizing. And the Wizarding right. World is trying to corral their terror towards one particular enemy, Sirius mm -hmm. Black. But once inside the gates, they can't really control them. And their terror just kind right. of threatens everyone and is misplaced or displaced. And that's what Dumbledore is afraid of and why they're so, why they're so frightening. Yeah. Right. So step three of our Lectio Divina, Vanessa, is to think about what this line reminds us of in our own lives. So could you read the line one more time? They have been growing restless for some time, furious at his refusal to let them inside the grounds. It reminds me of something that happened just this past weekend, which is that I, I saw something unjust happen and I intervened and that was great. <laughs> I'm, it was awkward and I was awkward about it, but like, I think I made the right decision. But because I did that, my adrenaline was like way up. And then a minute later, I was walking with Casper and Ariana through a hallway, and this woman had put her pizza down in the middle of the hallway, and Casper accidentally stepped on the pizza because it was on the floor in the middle of the hallway. And the woman was like, that's my pizza. And we just kept walking, but I turned back and was like, it's in the middle of nowhere. Like, it's your fault. And I should, right, like... I obviously should not have said anything about the pizza, but it was like this, I was amped up. And so I, it felt like this thing that I couldn't get control of once I had, you know, started this anger. And so that, that's what it reminds me of. What does it remind you of, Matt? <laughs> I mean, I think I'm going a slightly different direction than you did, Vanessa, as grateful as I am for your example, which is... <laughs> So recently, we reopened the church during the day. I mean, we've been having services on Sunday morning, but the, the church in the middle of Harvard Yard is a public space. And before COVID was a public space during the day for people to come in if they needed a quiet space or if they wanted a space to enter for a moment of silence or reflection or sense of the sacred or whatever. Because of the threat of COVID spread, like public buildings aren't really, haven't really been open at Harvard. And so we have kept people out. We've had the doors shut during the week, during business hours. But recently, there was a very well-known professor here at Harvard who was accused of 
sexual assault and bad behavior. And we had many people saying, you know, why isn't the church open? I need a place to go. I need a place to be on campus, be, be away from this. So we made a decision to open the the, the doors. Now, this is partly because the pandemic has reached a different stage for us. And, you know, the, the health services on campus thought it was a reasonable decision. But it's also because this space was needed. Like, we needed to welcome people in. And so it's not a perfect analogy, and I'm not trying to make it an analogy necessarily. But the idea of opening the gates and letting folks in, I think, has been real in my own professional life just because this is a space at Harvard that I'm, you know, ostensibly in charge of, or at least that I steward that has not been available to people because of a threat that was real and that that we continue to perceive, but also is a necessary space, I think, and that we want to make available to folks. And so I'm. it reminds me, that's this opening of the gates, people needing to get in, needing the space, that, that it reminds me of that. So Vanessa, step four of Lectio is to reflect upon what this line might be calling us to do in our own lives. So what do you think about that? I mean, it calls me to have more restraint with my anger. I shouldn't have yelled at this pizza girl. That was a mistake. She was wrong, but I shouldn't have yelled. Right? Like, I don't want to be a dementor. I don't want to be like, now I have anger and it has to go somewhere. I'm going to attack the quit. Right? Like, anger is, I think, a really useful motivation when deployed well. And I think that this is, you know, we were talking about different purposes of conversation. I think I could have turned to Ariana and Casper and vented and they could have rolled their eyes at me, but I don't think that I should have yelled. So I need to get better control of my anger. What about you, Matt? What does it make you feel called to? I guess as we move, as we continue moving into this, what we keep calling the later stage of the pandemic, I'm not sure that that's actually an accurate description. I just think that we are figuring out how to live with different risks risks that we did not have to live with before and trying to calibrate that. I think what welcome looks like, what making spaces available to folks looks like is something that we're still figuring out, right? And it just, it calls me to really just kind of pay attention to to listen more to what people need and how they need it and to try to think creatively about how to invite people in in a way that's meaningful and helpful to them and responds to the to the real needs and threats of the of the world around us. Matt, thank you so much for leading that really great Lectio Divina. Thank you, Vanessa. I think we're moving to a different spiritual practice next week, but it's been fun exploring Lectio Divina with you these past few episodes. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app, and when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Now we will listen to a voice memo from Aaron. Hi, Vanessa, Matt, and everyone at the Sacred Text team. My name is Aaron, and I just wanted to... Let you know, first and foremost, I love the podcast. I've been listening for ages, and you guys are amazing. I miss Casper, but Matt, you're a great addition to the show. I was wanting to call in about the episode on yearning, and you mentioned that Harry and Ron went to Lockhart, and you were amazed by this. If you think about it, it actually leads into the yearning theme insofar as Harry and Ron desperately want someone else to be in charge. I think Vanessa is right in that Hermione was put off by the last experience when they tried to hand over the problem to adults, but Harry and especially Ron, who have had different experiences particularly Ron, with parents who love him and listen to him, were looking for someone who knew the situation better than they did, even if it was really unlikely that that was true. At least the image of it was there, if that makes sense at all. But I uh, just wanted to put my two cents in. And as far as the um, comments about grief that you made later on in the episode... You're so right. I really wish that people had come to me two, three months down the line and said, you know, I'm here. If you want to talk about this, I'm here. And I know that you're still dealing with it. And I know there are a lot of other people who feel the same way. So I just wanted to touch on that. Thank you again for everything that you do and have a great day. Erin, I have such good news for you. Thank you so much for your voicemail. But we are recording very soon with both Matt and Casper. So best of all possible worlds. And Erin, I really love your point. We should never judge these kids for any attempt to reach out to adults. Every time they do it, we should be like, yes, it is adults problem, not yours. And I love this point that Ron has a history of adults coming through for him. And I think that that really informs the decision. And so, yes, and also everyone should always be asking for help, right? Like, as Casper would say, we live in an epidemic of loneliness and we should just be reaching out to one another more and more. So I really appreciate this voicemail. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. I'm, I miss and love Casper also. And I'm also excited that we get to record with Casper in a few weeks. And I just wanted to say, in addition to thank you for how kind your voicemail was in observing some of the things that we mentioned on that yearning episode, just to tell you, I'm sorry for whatever loss you're you're grieving. And I hope that you do have the people in your life who are coming to you and returning to you and, and asking you how they can be of support when you need it. It is now time for us to remember those in our community who have been loved and lost. Randy Gullickson, a camp director who was goofy and loving. John, 36 a creative hairstylist and a best friend. Margaret Ofterhar, 59, a grandmother of three and a writer. Alma Martin, 85, a grandmother and a joyful friend. Joyce Mealing, 90, a grandma who loved her family above all. Kate and Luke, 30 and 32. They took themselves home. Tim Gaffney, 69. A husband, father, and Rotarian. Farida Ilyas, 56. A mother of three and a woman in STEM. Robbie West, 44, a finder of magic in everything. Sean Peterson, 55, a beloved uncle 
and a renowned prankster. Let light perpetual shine upon them. Vanessa, who will you be blessing this week? I have two. I'm cheating. But one is really quick. It's for the Honeyduke's owner. Hmm. And I just think that she sounds like a really good manager. She's like, dear, don't forget this other thing. And I just think that that's very affectionate and sweet. But my real blessing is for Hagrid. We find out at the Three Broomsticks how horrible Azkaban is. And Fudge is sitting there at the table with Hagrid. Fudge, who recently put Hagrid in Azkaban for no reason. And they're just talking about it like Hagrid hasn't been deeply traumatized by being sent to Azkaban for political reasons. And yes, I'm going to bring this up every opportunity I can. Because... Ah! Because it's just so casually dismissed and not even discussed that... Hagrid was falsely imprisoned and prisons are immoral and we should have prison abolition. So yes, my blessing is for Hagrid and anybody who feels like a trauma that they have experienced is just being like glibly discussed right in front of them and for all people impacted by incarceration. My blessing is much more trivial. I have to confess. I'm blessing Flitwick again. Maybe it's just it's just rank Ravenclaw pride, but I love that he orders a cherry soda with an umbrella at the three broomsticks. <laughs> I just like, and he's so delighted when it comes. It just made me happy. <laughs> and and so I just want a blessing for just like stuff that makes us happy, even if it's kind of silly, whimsical little things. That it's the stuff of life. You know, it's what gives joy to our days, these little things. And I, I like that even in this kind of scary moment, Flitwick is devo- delighted to get his favorite drink at the Three Broomsticks. Next week, we're going to be reading book three, chapter 11, The Firebolt, and we will be discussing the theme of pride. Ooh, interesting. I'll be proud to share a story next week, Vanessa. Mm, Can't wait. Just one announcement before we read our thanks. We have launched a new class, What Matters. You can find out more by going to notsorryworks.com. It is very limited space. We only have 24 spaces available. So we hope that you are one of the people who snags one. This has been a Not Sorry production, and Not Sorry is a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We were edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull. And we are distributed by Acast. Special thanks this week to Aaron for their wonderful voicemail, to Lara Glass, Julia Argy, Gabby Iori, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Turkile, and Stephanie Paulsell. We'd also like to thank everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones. Thanks, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. So throughout my lid, my lid to mate twenties. <laughs> <laughs>